If you're an Android user and you're looking for a new app for your podcast, check out the Podcast Republic app on the Google Play Store. There are thousands of good reviews, so you don't have to trust me on this. Take it from the general public. Podcast Republic app is a great way to listen to podcasts on your Android devices. That's the Podcast Republic app on the Google Play Store. I think it would be remiss not to acknowledge the situation happening in the world on the day we're recording this. Black Lives Matter. It's important to say that. It's important for white folks to say that. And I think the second thing to do for white folks is get out of the way and let people whose voices should be heard on this topic be heard. So stand uh, with them, not for them. Do my best to amplify stuff that I've seen on our social media platforms to help that. Uh, I don't think that I or Andrew is qualified to speak at length about this topic, but I think a murder happened and it's crazy not to acknowledge that, that happened. And hopefully uh, we can get some actual Action. Some actual resolution toward the systemic problems of police violence in this country that are heavily targeted toward minorities. It seems a little heavy for this show, but you can't really talk about this movie without talking about the social message. And I feel the social message of They Live ties very much into what's going on in the world right now. So that's why we're talking about it. We're going to talk about the movie now, but I just felt like we should say something. Welcome to Dissecting the 80s. I am Trip Lano, one half of the Mega Podcasting Powers. And with me, as always, is a man who is here to chew bubblegum and talk a long time about John Carpenter's They Live, the Macho Man Drew. Andrew Lano, and I'm all out of bubblegum. <laughs> this is our second listener request month pick. It comes from one of our Patreon supporters, Tom, who is the second member of the New Coke Ad Execs or Lopper Club, I think, depending on uh, some your your New Coke Ad Execs got a little bit of love from Michelle. So we'll see. I think maybe, it's fun. I, I don't disagree with it. But anyway, uh, thank you to Tom for recommending this. This is one of my favorite John Carpenter movies. It's really fun to sometimes talk about movies we love. So... Let's hear it from Tom. Hey, Tripp and Andrew. This is Tom from Patreon. It's uh, really nice to speak to you guys. I'm very excited you picked They Live. I think it's a film that's both really, it's loads of fun and it's very smart. So let me first get out of the way and mention the obvious awesome things about this movie. It's insanely quotable. It has an amazing twist. And it has arguably the finest fight scene ever committed to film. But more than that, the movie's pretty important, I think, and very culturally relevant. So in the mid part of the, of the 80s, you had films like Ghostbusters, Back to the Future, Rocky IV, Red Dawn, Top Gun, Rambo II, films that were basically like feel-good cinema, aggressively pro-America, or, you know, played on Cold War invasion paranoia. But by the late 80s, there was this wave of films that were pretty subversive, that acknowledged that, and really challenged the impact of Reaganism, and responded to the culture wars that were ramping up at the time. Things like Platoon, Wall Street, RoboCop, Last Temptation of Christ, and I think They Live really fits in this group. So keeping all of that in mind, I want to make a point about Rowdy Roddy Piper. I think Carpenter's casting of Roddy Piper is among the most brilliant casting decisions he could have possibly made. So Piper was a guy who was a big part of, 80s, of the 80s cultural tapestry, and he was really if you remember, the main adversary to Hulk Hogan, who was basically a Reagan-era superhero. Piper never beat Hogan cleanly in the 80s. He was a guy who was the constant antagonist of a real American, but he could never really be allowed to win against the real American. So immediately you have a built-in understanding of his character as a metaphor for the previously ambitious but now marginalized 
person that he's playing in the film. I think that's amazing. It's it's inspired. It's awesome. Finally, the last point I like to make about this film is that I think little has really happened in the last 32 years that changes the central message of this film. And while it's fun and it's fun and interesting science fiction film, that I think you guys are going to have a blast breaking down. I think the social cynicism that it has is still really honest and truthful. So anyway, I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on this one, and I'll talk to you guys again next year. Thanks a lot. Bye. Well, like he said, we've watched They Live, so you know what that means. We gotta go back. We gotta go dissect the 80s. It's your metaphor for Reaganomics. Something's gotta be done about your metaphor for Reaganomics. When the mega powers explode. I'm talking about the 80s. So I just want to, I don't often do this because, uh, well, it's not, it's not, uh, usually a thing I can talk about, but I have actually seen this movie in a theater and it was a cool experience. So really? Yeah, so when I, uh, gosh, this is about five years ago now, four or five years ago, I took a solo trip to New Orleans. I'd never traveled solo before, and so I made a whole big list of all these things I wanted to do, and it was cool. I don't have to like bounce them off anybody else and all that, and uh, there's a small theater there that I could not find. I hope they're still around, but uh, I couldn't find it earlier when I was looking, but it was a little independent theater that did a lot of retro screenings and stuff like that. Uh the at the time I was there, they were in the middle of like a John Carpenter run, and I happened to be there for They Live, which at the time I'd never seen before. So I was like, "Well, I got what go time see of year it, was I think. it? Uh, fall, September? Okay. Um. Oh, you know what? I think I just found it. I think it's called the Pretania. I'm almost positive this is it. Looking at the photos, P R. Yeah, this is it. P R Y T A N I A. Old school single screen theater. Uh, I don't think it was a midnight show. It was probably like a 10 o'clocker because I'm a little old for midnight shows, yeah. frankly. I can go to a concert late. I don't think they do uh, midnight. midnight. I mean, other than like Rocky Horror type stuff, I don't think midnight shows are a thing anymore. Now it's just Thursdays at 7 p.m. Yes, but there are still theaters that'll do like if you have an independent theater, which I'm sure there are some in the city, they will have midnight movies for the like cult vibe of it. I yeah, would imagine. Um, there's one that we talked about, like trying to talk them into letting us do a live commentary a long time ago that I don't know if it's still around, but they definitely did that kind of stuff. But anyway, uh, this is cool. Old, old theater, uh, not like old in the ritzy movie house way. Just, it was old, but like lived in old, the kind of movie you'd want to see they live in. And I don't often buy you know, I'm not a treat to the movies guy. Like I can go two hours without consuming any food. So I just like, occasionally I like, I've gotten to where I hardly even sneak stuff anymore. Like I bring my water bottle usually, but I don't <laughs> feel guilty about that. It's not I a just, judgment. I like who does. I can say I, I like, I like a candy at the movies. But that, so I was on vacation. So it's like, I got the whole deal. I got the popcorn. I got the soda. I got the candy. And it was this like whole big spread. And then I got to sit down and watch They Live for the first time. And with a bunch of other enthusiastic John Carpenter people, no laughing at the movie, no, none of that stuff. Uh, and it was, it was a hoot. Like I was surprised how much I liked the movie, given that it stars a wrestler <laughs> instead of an actor in the yeah. lead and, and is, uh, you know, borderline cheesy in a lot of its moments, but I, I, I like this movie a lot. And uh, I think, um, I think it's not necessarily 
as good as it should be, I but agree. it's still a, a fun watch. So uh, it's just, it's nice to watch. Not, I honestly had a lot of fun watching Grease 2 and talking about it. And uh, this is not to throw shade at Michelle, but it's nice to get a movie that I genuinely really like. And I think that's why this is maybe a little early to announce this, but I think the new plan for February going forward that we kind of joked about before is going to be favorites. Buary. So Andrew will pick a February. Pick a few. Yeah. Um, but we'll each pick a favorite movie and I think it'll be interesting and fun to get that nice palate cleanser of talking about stuff you really like. Although we'll see if, if you're listening and you're like, I would love to hear your feedback on whether you prefer episodes where we really like the movie or where we really hate the movie, like what you think the better energy is. Cause I truly don't, I don't know. Um, anyway, that's my story about seeing this in the theater, which is, uh, just, I don't know. I thought it was nice. Um, nice. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't seen a lot of the movies we cover. Uh, in a theater, so uh, it was just a it was a real treat to to go revisit this this week. It's streaming on Stars right now, which you can get a free trial of. Kind of. So, uh, Comcast dropped Stars, but picked up something else that's Stars adjacent. So, if you have a Comcast like cable subscription, you can watch it for free on what's called MoviePlex. I think that's the Comcast proprietary streaming thing. Movieplex? I thought so. I didn't think so, but yeah. It's, oh, maybe that's Stream Picks. Maybe yeah, it's Stream. I think Stream okay. Picks is. Well, whatever. It's out there to be found um, in all sorts of different ways. I'm sure you could track this movie down. But uh, we start with Rowdy, Rowdy, Rowdy Piper strolling through Los Angeles. Now, he was like so committed to this acting thing that he basically retired from wrestling to go do this. And the intent was that he wouldn't he go back. Not great. No, he isn't. I think he has a lot of charisma. He does. And uh, there's potential there. But the problem is that, like, he's very clearly a professional wrestler who's trying to act. Right. Right. And and for me, the biggest issue with his performance is that there's not a lot of what, I, energy, but also, like, intent. Like, there's scenes where you're like oh you should be like amped up and like running and there should be a frenetic energy and he's just like casually strolling around he's very casual there's not a lot of subtext in what he does and says which i think is the key to being a good actor is when you're talking and performing there's almost a second stream of information coming from your body language and the way you say things and roddy is like just barely holding on from going into full wrestler promo. And he was a shouty promo oh, yes. guy. He was from, from the eighties. Like he was, he a was a macho man. Pro- yeah. So macho man would go like up and down, right? Like it'd be like, you know, the cream rises to the top. Yeah. The cream. And he literally would like pick up props off the table and catering and then use them. He, there's literally a great macho man. Promo I know he's holding a creamer. I'm just telling anyone who doesn't know. I know, you know, I've shown it. Well, to I feel you. like, I feel like you've seen, I feel like it's I literally been on the like, show before I put the clockwork orange things on your eyes and was like, watch this. You got to watch it. Um, but but Piper was like the yelly type. It would like he'd get up to eleven and just stay there and just be like, "I'm coming for you," kind of thing, you know. Okay. Um. So it feels like he kept doing that in the movie, and Carpenter had to keep being like, "No, no, no, no!" Like like a hundred percent less than that. <laughs> well, it's funny because Carpenter actively wanted him. Right. It right. wasn't Carpenter, like this, I think was a wrestling fan. Well, it wasn't. I'm just saying it wasn't like the studio was like, "Hey." This will get butts in the seats. We'll put this professional famous wrestler in the movie. Right. And he was like, he was a 
big guy, but he wasn't a number one guy. So it was a, a little surprise. He he's not quite famous enough to be stunt casted. I feel okay. And uh, a re- so it's obviously scored by John Carpenter because I'm pretty sure he scores all his own movies. Is that right? He he is at least involved in all of them. I think there's a few like this one has another person credited as well, and I think that happens a few times. The score is interestingly very much noir. Yeah, like it sounds like like Roger Rabbit or like a jewel thief sneaking around. It's got this like kind of driving plunky bass sound, and I like yeah. the music in this movie. But but it there are many scenes where I'm kind of like, huh, like that's not the vibe I would have that's searched for for the music. Yeah. Um. But I I mean broadly I like Carpenter a lot. Um. The Halloween score is can't be like there's some like right, the simplicity right. and brilliance of that score is great. Yeah, and he was like a huge synth guy and sort of uh, he's he's in multiple synth documentaries because he's contributed so much to the rise of synth music, which I think is kind of a cool thing. And isn't there a video um, of him with like Nintendo Switch Labo cardboard instruments? I think so. Trying to make think- the Halloween theme and he's like yeah. getting frustrated. Yeah, yeah. I don't know that I watched it, but I think I did see that highlight. I was like, oh, that sounds cute, and just kept scrolling. He does now, like, now all he does is music. He doesn't really want to make films anymore. Him and his son, um, who's a... I, I, so I rabbit hole on this while I was watching the movie, because I've seen it so many times. He, uh, his kid is a junior, but they call him Cody. So he has his own name. He just goes by Cody Carpenter, but his name is, like, John Jr., which I thought was funny. Is Cody, like, his um, middle name? No. That's weird. Yeah, yeah. It was like just they're like we're just gonna call him Cody, and I was like, well, why didn't you just call- name oh, whatever? Him Cody. I'm not gonna get involved. Yeah, because his son uh, was involved in the music for New Halloween, right? No, John. I mean, they both were. John was too. Yeah, I was gonna say because I thought because I remember reading that because I I loved um, the musical moment in that movie when Allison discovers Allison sees the shape for the first time and like runs through the street trying to get someone to help her with that like bang like really yeah, heavy yeah, guitar. Yeah. I was I heard that in the theater. I was like, I need this song in my life because it's so yeah. evocative. Yeah, no, it, it's great score. I I mean, I think John Carpenter is probably a better film scorer than director, maybe, and that's a high compliment because I think he's a very I was just saying, his directing is great. Yeah. 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 So I wasn't, that was not a knock on his directing. I, I think he's a great director, but I think he's maybe even better as a, a film scorer. Um, anyway, we, st- we go, so Roddy strolls all the way throughout LA and you get a t- like, I got the vibe that this was all stolen shots. Did this feel fa- like feel fly by night oh. to you in, in the good way? Oh, like gorilla style. Yeah, yeah, like they just grabbed a camera and were like, just walk through Los Angeles and, and a little bit, we'll, yeah. we'll just shoot it. Yeah, I, I don't know that it was. I'm it not, looks like know, he whatever. rinses his hands in a puddle at one point. It it absolutely does look like he does that, yes, yeah. Gross. Um. Yeah, LA puddle, probably 50% pee, just FYI. And in the 80s, it's 50% pee, 50% cocaine. Yeah, that's true. Well, maybe he was just trying to sift the cocaine out. There's like a, you know, like the old miners with panning. their sluice boxes. Yeah, he's panning for cocaine in the Los Angeles puddles. That's probably very lucrative. I mean, yeah. 
You'd have to like dry it like they dry like salt salt water. <laughs> like he's, oh, yeah, yes, he's a yes, salt exactly. farmer, a coke farmer. Yeah. yeah, there's like there's another camp that's not in this movie. It's just like a bunch of like rocks, flat rocks with shallow bowls carved into them that they like collect the puddle water, put it in the bowl, let the sun dry it, and scrape the cocaine powder out of it. I'm a cocaine farmer. You don't yeah. farm cocaine. You do in L.A. <laughs> I'm imagining Keith David saying that. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could do a Keith David. Yeah. Dr. Facilier. It would, if I did it, people would be like, I think the thing you're doing is racist. And I'd be like, you're right. So I just don't, I just don't do <laughs> that it. That it is. Yeah. yeah. He's, he, Keith David is Dr. Facilier from Princess and the Frog and Goliath from Gargoyles. I was going to tell this story later, but I'll tell it now, and then we'll, we'll that way we'll have less derailing later, because we haven't really started the movie. So I used to work at this company in Columbia, Maryland. I don't work there anymore. Um, but they there was a documentary coming out about the founding of that company, and Columbia is a planned community, and it's kind of an interesting documentary if you're interested in I think you talked planning, about this which, already. Did I talk about this in the podcast? The last Maybe time Keith David, because Keith David came okay. up in the last couple months. Okay, well, then I will be quick about it. But anyway, Keith David narrated this documentary, and they had us in the room with the filmmaker to talk about the movie. And, like, just it wasn't like a feedback in the true sense of it, right? Because, like, the movie was finished. It was just like a courtesy screening. And so everybody's like asking these very boring questions. And I was like, So, uh, what's the process of working with Keith David like? Like, how'd you swing that? He's like a big name. Like, he's a huge name in voiceovers. And he's also Keith freaking David. What I love is that Keith David is a voiceover actor who also has a film acting career. Like, he right, does right. both. Right. Well, when you got a voice like that, um, but no one else in the room, no one else in the room, including I'm pretty sure the director of the documentary knew who Keith David was. And I, I had to be like, uh, okay, well, never mind. That sounds, that's, that would make me cry inside. Yeah. No, I was like screaming. I like, can't I, remember I what left- Keith David movie was did on the podcast before. We definitely have done a Keith David movie, but if you, I uh, thank you for telling me so I didn't go into long detail on a story I've told before. If you're curious, just keep going back through Keith David movies in the catalog. Eventually, you'll find. Yeah, whatever it. we most you, recently I, did. It's like a it's like a word search that I gave you. Um. So anyway, we're at the unemployment office. I love this actress's performance playing the unemployment lady. It's it's very um Juno from Beetlejuice. Yes, extremely. In fact, for a minute, I, was I like, thought that was the same. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, not. But, uh, yeah, I didn't even look her up because eventually I, I was like, no, it's not. But it does. She's definitely channeling the same same sort of energy. Uh, but it, it is exactly the tone of dealing with unemployment offices. And I can tell you that from personal experience in the past. It is exactly what it's like. She's just like rolling her eyes like, uh-huh. Yeah, I know you worked on that thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> We have nothing for you. Go away. Uh, there's a, a street preacher who is credited as such. Yes. Well, I mean, that's his role. What do you think preacher. is funny? Because, like, because in the credits, it says, like, and this performer's name as street preacher. No one yeah. else got a character name, but for some reason, this guy did. Yeah, Roddy Piper is ca- uh, credited as Nada, and I genuinely don't remember anyone saying that name in the movie. They don't. Okay. He doesn't have a name. Okay, but he's credited as Nada, Be- which is nothing. You know, I, I, I yes, I get that, but it's made me think like, does somebody call him that? Because like, I don't. Because never- there's even a scene. Keith David introduces himself as Frank, and the and, like. I don't remember his response to that. It, he doesn't. He doesn't give one. Like I think he says, "Nice to meet you, Frank," and that's it. Like they just don't. 
exchange names. Um, I will say, if you're gonna uh, this this movie does follow the very smart template that Terminator uses as well, which is if you're gonna cast the non actor, like you're casting someone just for their look. And look, I, Roddy Piper has the perfect look for this character. He looks like weathered. His hair mm-hmm. is ridiculous in the best way. He's buff looking. He looks like a guy like, who works I can't figure out who else from the 80s i would think to put in that role like right without completely changing the movie right right and he only has much like arnold and terminator like 50 lines maybe like terminator i think might be 50 words honestly it's very very small performance like word count wise but piper doesn't do a lot like most of his talking is wrestling promos like he's either making fun of somebody or does the you know the iconic bubblegum line or whatever which was so apparently, a lot of it apparently the bubblegum line was one of his not used uh wrestling slogans so i i think this is a roddy piper story my brain is full of nonsense so who knows but i am fairly certain that i have heard him uh tell he's pa- since passed away but that he used to just like have a notebook with him and he was just mm-hmm. like constantly thinking up zingers and just constantly writing them down. And so when he came to the movie, it was like, I have this book full of these zingers. Do you, like, can we? And they, I think that's how that got worked in. And there's another scene later that we'll get to where he just starts like shredding this guy. And it's definitely from his book of, of ideas, I think. Yeah. But anyway, the street preacher's there and he's a blind guy and he's, uh, proselytizing and then these cops show up and piper kind of like continues on his merry way but this opening is really kind of sparse it's other than the scene with the the agent at the unemployment office no not much talking piper's just kind of walking and observing but i really feel that it builds the world in a hugely pivotal way for this movie you kind of understand exactly where we are that it's sort of the near future but a lot has changed from the world that you're familiar with. Yeah, it, and it feels almost like it's kind of hard to describe, but it's like a uh, revisionist history 80s where like things are a little yeah. farther along. It's like 2025, but also the 80s. It's it's Tomorrowland. Right, it's, right. It's the future right. envisioned by. Yes, yeah. Like everything is still in a hugely 80s vibe, but it's also 30 years in the future or whatever. Although mm. it doesn't ever tell you that, I don't think. No, there is one line where someone's where a um a newscaster says, you know, reports said by the year 2025, blah 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 blah. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't we don't know if that means, you know, 45 years. Yeah. 40ish. 40ish years in the future yeah. or, you know, next year. Right. Um, he tries to get a construction job, which is mostly so he can pop that shirt off. Yeah, that sweet, sweet shirt. <laughs> Shirtless pick. Um, There's also then, so many cuts to f- fake commercial. Like, they had to film a dozen fake commercials for this movie. The The two things I kept thinking about watching this is, one, you just said, fake commercials and the huge amount of time invested in making them. Two is the props. That grocery store that we'll talk about later has, like... 400 or 500 products in it that are all had to be made by hand. I think that's why I respect this movie so much is that like from a technical standpoint, they had to build two worlds. There's the, there's the real world quote unquote. That's like the one we see. And then there's the black and white version of that where all of the labels are this like, you know, hipster aesthetic nonsense. Beer. Yeah. Yeah. Like, su- it literally just is, like, sustenance on a carton of eggs. And, like, yeah. it looks cool as hell. 
I I would love to go to one of those. I know you're not a fan of these, but one of those like photo spot art installation pieces mm. where you they would never do it because it'd be too much work this like that's that's the amount of work that went into this it's i mean no years. they've done big stuff like that like the there's one called i love scary movies and it's in la they kept t- saying it was going to be a tour and i never saw it tour and it pissed me off but they had it was the shining beetlejuice lost boys friday the 13th and nightmare i think and then maybe it later but it was like these giant expensive elaborate set pieces that you could just go and take photos all over. And I was like, how cool would this grocery store be? Yeah, no, but I'm saying like the, you can make the, you know, the sewer scene in it or whatever pretty easily at scale, but like they're not making 400 cans of soup that say sustenance. That's just so much work. It must've taken literally taken someone weeks to manufacture all these food labels for this one scene in this movie. Yeah. Um, but we'll get there in time. Um, Keith David is across the way at the construction site and he's like kind of doing some machismo bullshit. He's like kind of flexing an arm and working his sledgehammer. Um, but then he immediately offers the help, which I think is really interesting because it's two very different characterization pieces that kind of form this character. Mm -hmm. Um, so Piper says he doesn't want to follow him, but then starts following him. And cause Keith David offers him a place where he can get some food and a shower and such like, and stuff like that. So they get to this camp and they tour it and it's a homeless encampment. Uh, but everybody kind of pitches in and makes it home for mm-hmm. everyone, which is, is like a cool community thing. And there's, I never understood it. Cause it's a, it's a, I feel like it's a big thing in movies that there's like alleyway and yard TVs. Yeah. And I'm just like, how are we doing that? <laughs> like you're in the middle I mean, of a field yeah i mean it, it's old school antenna and it's running off a battery is what the answer is i think oh it's a battery okay yeah yeah um because they're watching tv and then um the broadcast gets interrupted by this like kind of befuddled professor type yeah he's got like um gosh there was a person in my head that I, he looks like and it popped right out I'm sorry, but he's, yes, Befuddled Professor is a good... Because he keeps looking at his notes. Like, he's, he, he, we see his eyes cast down a lot to, like, check his notes. Yeah. And he's, you know, it's the equivalent of the guy with, who wears tin foil on the subway platform that, like, rattling off, and like, okay. Right, and everybody ignores them and, and moves on their very way. But he's on their, t- he's, like, breaking onto the TV broadcast. Right. They're, and they're using, like, hacking techniques to, to, to try to broadcast this message. They're hacking into the mainframe. They are not hacking into the mainframe. <laughs> they are hacking into the television signal. Um, but it's a thing that pops up and doesn't really get explained as much as I would like it to. That while they're, you know, all of a sudden there's a different broadcast and it's this befuddled professor. And... While the new broadcast is happening, all of the people who are watching it complain about headaches. Well, they talk about this with the sunglasses, and I think the idea is it's such intense new information for your brain to process that it physically hurts you. That's fair. I just it, it would have been interesting to explore because if if that's the if the case of like when he pops on the TV, you know, you get a headache. They could. Have, I'm surprised that there wasn't like dialogue about spinning it like oh it's a terrorist organization and their their brain their broadcast hurts you like don't listen to them 
I think the reason why maybe they don't is because the uh, signal is interrupted very locally. It's only in Los Angeles and maybe even yeah. only in a certain part of Los Angeles. So it's more like, let's not acknowledge them at all. Um, there's also a, a scene with Piper and Keith David after they get food. Also, I love like they're doling out this food and the woman puts peas on Piper's plate and, and he's still, he like, he clearly doesn't move when he's supposed to. And she's like, would you like some more? And he's like, yeah, sure. And then she puts a, and there's like no room on the plate for this additional scoop of peas. And he's like kind of holding them on the plate. Like and she like pats him on the back. Uh huh. <laughs> like clearly a cue got missed there. Um, and then Keith David's like trying to explain to him, you know, like, oh, the people in power, you, you know, he kind of try to, tries to wake him up to the world and Piper's not quite ready. But while everyone's getting these headaches, he sees the preacher from before mouthing all the words like word for word with the speech. And he starts to realize something's up. So he starts trying to solve this, figure out what's going on. Yeah. And that I remember because I've seen this movie before. It's been a very long time. Um, I couldn't remember, so I couldn't remember specifics. And so when the preacher was doing that, I was like, "Oh, wait a minute! I'm I, I was trying to piece together myself, like, what? Oh, really? What does this all mean? Right, right. Um, yeah, because it could be like an interesting mind control thing. Yeah, exactly. The other way, yeah. But it's not mind control. It's uh, just the preacher probably wrote this speech. Um, but yeah, he's in on Piper's, it. Yeah, so Piper starts observing the uh, church across the street where he thinks something's going on and where, so there's like a guy who greets them when they come to camp, who is sort of like dollar store meatloaf in term, like dollar store meatloaf, the singer, not dollar store meatloaf, the food. Uh, he yeah, looks, he looks that. much, he looks like meatloaf, uh, who my girlfriend recently called meatball. And just, I laughed for an hour. Um, <laughs> meatball. Yeah. She was like asking me to put a song on. She's like, that one you always put on by, um, meatball. And I was like, excuse me, what? Um, <laughs> meatball is a subversive drag queen actually. Oh yeah. Yeah. She's pretty cool. Uh, but so this, this, this meatloaf looking fella is the leader of a group of, of people in, uh, trying to, you know, wake society up and they have a secret lab hidden in the church where they're manufacturing these sunglasses that will be, you know, pivotal in the movie pretty shortly. I really like the design of the sunglasses because they're just weird enough. Like they, they could have very easily just gone to like, I don't know, Oriental trading if that existed in 84 and bought right. like a lot of like, not Wayfair, <laughs> like Wayfair purchased, adjacent. Yeah. Purchased a lot of, of them. But instead, they kind of, like, design something that, like, looks a little futuristic, but still is very, like, everyday wear. Right. Very pedestrian. Right. They're, pretty, they're, they're pretty similar to a classic Ray-Ban Wayfair, but they're just slightly futuristic. Yeah, it's just, like, instead of um, dipping down and being segmented and separated between the two eyepieces, the top is sort of straight across. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so the preacher catches Piper, and he feels his face, which... It's interesting to me that the preacher is, I guess, because he is blind, has the sort of true sight that Piper gets from the glasses, mm -hmm. that he can, like, feel a face and feel an alien, which I can't, like, must feel horrible to touch. Um, It'd be like touching Jason. But Piper gets spooked. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't want to do that. 
but Piper gets spooked by this helicopter, and then later that night, the helicopter comes back, and it's a raid on the church. Uh, the police roll in, and they just literally destroy this camp with a bulldozer. Well, that's what confused me, because I assumed they were going to come and destroy the church, but... Well, they do try to do that, too. They set it on fire. But they, it, it seems like most of the attack is focused on the encampment. I mean, it's just sort of a classic, you know, get them out of here. Let's get rid of this encampment. It's encroaching on our nice looking area sort of thing. Like, we got to clean this spot up. Yeah. More than anything is what it feels like to me. Because I feel like uh, that's what I was confused about, like... I guess for me, I was trying to think, like, how are they going to explain this in terms of, like, the people in power? Because it could, if destroying a, an old, like, a, an abandoned old church could be like, oh, it's condemned. It's not safe. We have to take it down. Right. Yeah. I mean, they don't have to explain it at all. It's a homeless encampment and nobody gives a shit about them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the truth. That happens all over the country all the time. Uh, um, they wail uh, this on the is, church. This is the scene that I said that I was alluding to earlier when I said um, Piper doesn't really have enough energy because everyone else is running around panicked and scared of the bulldozer yeah. that's destroying their home, and he is just slowly, casually, lackadaisically yeah. meandering. And I was like, I think the intention is that he is stunned. like calm, cool, and collected. No, I think it's supposed to be he's, like, cool under pressure. But I agree with you. I don't think it works. I think if they want it to read cool under pressure, he has to be helping people. Right. Like he, he has to jump one guy. Snap two and be like, hey, follow me. Come this way. And, like, clear. Like, it needs to feel like he's cool and calm as opposed to him being like, whatever. He doesn't even get his own stuff, which I thought was bonkers. Yeah, because he has a pack. And he says multiple times that he has his own set of tools and yada, yada, yada. And he just lets all that go. But he uh, he does help one person escape who he's like walking, sneaking by as they're just wailing on the preacher and the meatloaf guy. The was it the meatloaf are. guy? I thought so. It was hard to tell some of the characters apart in this movie. Um, but they're getting like wailed on. And then he goes around the corner and there's another guy who's kind of cowering. And Piper grabs him and is like, come on. And you know, they run from the cops to safety. Yeah. Um, so we, the next morning they, they like sleep overnight at this place and they wake up the next morning and people are trying to like pick up the pieces at the camp and he goes to scope out the church and he finds a whole box of the glasses. And I really love, this is the best part of the whole movie, I think, where he first puts the glasses on it walking is, down the street in Los Angeles. It is iconic for a movie that's like yeah. cult status. Like the, like this yeah. iconography is, is unforgettable. Yeah, I, I'm really glad that like horrible people haven't co-opted it the way they co-opted Red Pill in the Matrix of like waking yourself up to the reality because that is so co-opted by the worst. Apparently, people. they tried because in my head I was like, this feels like it could have been read the wrong way by wrong people, and apparently some people have. And John Carpenter shuts it down every time he sees it. Yes, I, I have seen people trying to use it for like anti-Semitic. I just mean like the phrase like put the sunglasses on hasn't been like take the red pill like is like oh. poison you know what i mean like it's just like a poisoned phrase to me and like it's a pretty interesting part of that movie although uh i think there's probably a very interesting transgender reading of the matrix knowing what we know now about the wachowskis that they both were uh 
they both would ultimately transition. Yeah. I think there's probably a very interesting trans reading of that movie and the whole red pill, blue pill thing. Uh, I don't want to get into it now because I haven't seen the movie in 10 or more years and I do not feel qualified to make the thing, but I was just saying, and I'm pretty sure I've thing- only seen one of those seven movies and TV shows and whatever they did. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm just saying, I think there's an interesting reading of that first movie. I bet, uh, that you could do now, although I'm not going to make it, but I would read it. If someone has it, you should tweet it to me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he pops these glasses on and he like all the advertisements are for all these, you know, tropical vacations and beer and gum and all whatever. And then he pops the glasses on and it's, you know, consume, obey, you know, marry, then reproduce, then reproduce. <laughs> I was going to say fornicate. And I'm like, no, that's not it. That's, that's not what they want. Nope. Um, and I really love the moment at the newsstand where he's like looking at the magazines. Because I, ro- I wrote that I love the newsstand. Because the newsstand set piece is great. That would be another great thing to put in your in our in our dissecting the eighties art and it's installation such an photo reveal of the first monster. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean they would that would be good, just like the store would. Except I don't want to be involved in the labor process, so someone else has to make all the things. All the magazines are are white, glossy. It's just a, it's a magazine. It's just white and glossy with one word on the cover in black that just says like obey or whatever. And it's cool because... And then as he flips... It's different words. he flips through... Right, but it's like just single words, these bold white, black on white um, things. But yeah, I love that like the first alien strolls up and Piper sort of pulls the glasses off and then uh, sees the guy and is staring at him and the guy is like, what are you looking at, chump? And it's just like, the I love everything about it. It's very 80s, 80s guy energy. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the artist uh, Shep Ferry, who did that, uh, is obviously probably most famous for that Obama poster, the Hope one. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he, you, he, all of his art is very influenced by the the consume and obey. The, and yeah, stuff. the typography. Right. Uh, he might be the obey Andre the Giant guy. I'm not 100% sure if that's him. That sounds more on those lines. Um but there's uh, what I what I also really loved is that um, the newsstand worker goes to Roddy and is like, "Hey, you gonna pay for that magazine? I don't want any trouble, but just like put it back if you're not gonna use it." And he looks, Roddy looks down at the guy's hand, and his dollar bills are just white scraps of paper that say, "This is your god." And I was like, "This is yeah. so scathing." Yes, yeah. Like it the fact really that fiery. a studio made this movie is insane, considering like it is a. Sc- scathing review like scathing look at consumer culture i mean parasite won an academy award for being about this last year and it's like these movies are 30 years apart 32 years apart and i just feel a lot of the criticism of this movie is people were not ready for the message of it i still think that like their criticisms valid criticisms of this movie as being like not great because it's true but it the message of this movie is wonderful and it was just 30 some odd years too early yeah um, and this is where he goes into the grocery store. And then, and then I wrote, never you, mind, this you, is my new favorite. <laughs> did you peep the High Times magazine snuck in the back row of this magazine rack in the grocery store? No. So the only reason it caught my eye is because every, all of them are like very, it's like there's a Sports Illustrated, a Newsweek, a Time, like big magazines. And then there was one in the back with like really funky letters. And I'm like, is that like a mad magazine? Like what they stick back there? And I backed it up and I was like, oh, it's High Times. That probably jives with John Carpenter, I feel. Yeah, that makes sense. 
I also like really love the design of the aliens. It's it's like ghoulish in a way, and it's purposely that way. I read because Carpenter was like the aliens are stripping away our humanity, so they look like stripped away humans. Right, their eyeballs no, are the creepiest super part. Super duper gnarly. Yeah, yeah, and and a lot of the criticisms I saw were about the effects, which totally blew my mind. I think these are really cool makeups. I think they hold up really well in high definition. Yeah. There's a few of them where you can see some seams, but I was stunned to see that, like, of all the things they're criticizing in this movie, the effects are not where you should be aiming. But yeah, the only thing that I didn't like about the design and execution of the makeup was that they, so it's designed in a way that where they don't have lower, they don't have lips, they just have teeth. And so when the aliens start talking to each other, that looks a little wonky because it's clearly yes. like a set of lips, a set of teeth over humans' lips. Right. And you can hear it in some of the dialogue, too. Yeah. But this is one of the parts where it's clearly Piper's just doing wrestling promos because he sees this old lady and she's a, a, a she's an alien and there's a human woman on the other side of him. And he's like, these glasses reveal everything. You, you're good looking. This one over here, real fucking ugly. And then it becomes like a whole issue in the store. Yeah, it was so he's like normal formaldehyde face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, formaldehyde phase. It's just like, clearly this is just him rattling off wrestling one-liners. And he straight up is like, these glasses make me see the world different. And I was like, oh no, what are you doing? You don't yeah. say that. Yeah, you just gave away the whole thing, man. You just screwed it up. Play it cool, bro. Yeah. So my issue with the movie is how quickly he goes from like, puts the glasses on, sees the world, and then starts shooting people. Yes, I agree. Like, (laughs) so he leaves the the, the people all start talking into their wristwatches and they're like, we have a male. It's very eerie looking because all of a sudden, all the people, all the humans have disappeared from this grocery store. Because the first is just the woman in the fur coat being like, I have one, I think he can see me. And then he looks around and there's no people in this grocery store. It's just aliens. And they're all walking, talking into their wristwatch, slowly walking towards him. It's very unnerving. Yeah. Yeah. It looks awesome. But he, so he like, he runs outside, he sees a woman and like realizes she's an, uh, an alien and she starts doing the, the same thing. And he's like, that's like perfume on a pig. And then the cops show up and the cops are also aliens. Yeah, well, you know, the, the white people are under duress, so they just showed up. Um, the the so this scene is like where it all goes off, like off into crazy town for me. Is like he does he he doesn't he doesn't just like decide to join the revolution. He's like the leader of it somehow because he he beats up these cops. He takes their guns. He kills both of them. He goes in into their broad sc- daylight. Right, right. He goes into their squad car, he takes the shotgun, he takes one of their radio belts, and he walks into a bank and just starts shooting aliens. It's, yeah, it, I needed, I, <laughs> because no other character is like this, is like this at all. No. Like, they, they put on the glasses and react very differently. They're like, I can't believe this. And he, he, he puts on the glasses and is like, oh, target practice. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So I, I like I, I think this movie would be better if there's a little more connective tissue there. But he goes into this bank. He gives the iconic bubblegum line, which is one of those lines that people famously uh, quote incorrectly. How Just so? like beam me up, Scotty is never... Because people always say, I'm here to kick ass and chew gum, or kick ass and chew gum, and I'm all out of gum. And it's like, it's much, 
I think it's much uh, more ridiculous the way he does it in a good way. It's chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of the fact bubble that gum. The fact that it's specifically bubblegum is what delights me. I yeah, it's I like, agree. He's not here for your double mint. He's not here for your... Freedent. For, for your extra, your strawberry trident. No, it's bubblegum. Thank you. I'm just imagining him like one of the things he took off the cop was like a roll of bubble tape. I was going to say bubble tape. <laughs> he like pops the can open and just puts the whole round of gum in his mouth like a psycho. No, he pulls the roll out, takes a bite of it, puts it back in. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is where we learn that they can, the aliens can watch teleport. Yeah, yeah. And then we see a little flying security drone, which I really wanted to see the real world equivalent of this thing. Yeah, I think that was just too expensive of a shot. But like, how cool would it have been if it was like, it's a pigeon? No, I'm totally with you. I, a pigeon would have been a rad way to do it. There's a bunch of cool ways to do it, I think. The way he reacts to it, I think it was supposed to be a flying vehicle of some sort. Mm. Um, but this is one of those things that's like, this movie just predicted, you know, surveillance 30 years early. Yes. That's what, I mean, that's, that's what people do with drones now. Well, the first there's a non-alien cop, which I really like. Like This is an important moment for the character, I think, because he shows up and he points the gun at the guy and he's like, put the gun down. And the guy does because he's not an alien. And he's like, now get out of here. And the guy just runs away. And I think that's like establishing the moral code of like, he's only here to kill the aliens is I think an important yeah. distinction he makes. Well, and any of the scenes where he's shooting up a crowd of people, it is only aliens. And they are not right. like... Again, I'm not a gun guy by any stretch, but when I play, I play video, I play video games with guns like Fallout where you pick, there's a lot of different guns to pick from. He's not picking like sharpshooter specific guns, yet somehow he only kills aliens. Right. He's just a very good shot somehow. So he kidnaps a lady getaway driver. Yeah, her name's Holly, and we find out that she works in TV. And I think she has a gay couple as a neighbors. Do, I was going to say, they're like gay got? stoners. Okay, okay. Because I was like, it's not, it's just like, they're just regular people. It's not like obnoxious, which I was very afraid was going to be the But also, they're not, they're barely in the movie. They're there for 30 seconds as they pull into the garage to say hi to Holly. And I was like, because I was like, oh, we're going right. to get a new set of characters. And then they just take the Uber right out. <laughs> Right, right. Like, well, goodbye. Gonna go smoke a J. <laughs> and then Uber. We're responsible. <laughs> we don't don't drive don't drive high. So he tries to get her to put the glasses on for a while, and she just flat won't do it. Well, because she thinks he's probably a rapist, definitely a kidnapper, maybe a murderer. Like the way he's like, yeah. how about we go to your place? Do you live alone? She's like. Well, this is it. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I would be putting the glasses on to just placate the person to try to like make my move. I will say that's what I was thinking the whole time as he was because every time he yells at the characters to do, I'm like, honestly, I'd be like, slut, you stay over there, slide them across the gravel to me. Yeah. I will put them on for you. Yeah. <laughs> you promise not to shoot me. Right, right. And then you just be like, oh, whoa, you know, just react big. <laughs> You're that guy at the party that that's pretending he's high. He's like, this water tastes like broccoli, yeah, man. Yeah. And you're like, what are you, what? <laughs> Did you just say this water tastes like broccoli? Yes. <laughs> and people are like, what a terrible glass of water. I know, that's what I mean. Like the guy who pretended to be high. <laughs> and you're like, that's not how pot works. 
<laughs> oh, you mean every movie screenwriter? Yes. Like, I've seen people smoke pot. Mostly they just lay on the couch. You watch people in a movie smoke pot, they're like, whoa, the whole world is a kaleidoscope now, and my cat is talking to me. And I'm like, hey, I feel like you think LSD is something, is weed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You yeah. think acid is been weed. Around, been around a fair number of people who are stoned, and mostly they just wanted to dance or listen to music or just, like, lay down. So yeah, I don't know most of the time it's, about. let's lay down and have a nap. Right. <laughs> Give me some snowballs. I'm going to take a nap. <laughs> So this woman has very creepy eyes. They're like Goldie Hawn and Death Becomes Her eyes. Like they look they under. Yeah, they do have a weird vibe. And I don't know why cuz I don't think they're like supernatural. I don't think she's I so I think it's just that she has a very reflective eyeball, which I know yeah. sounds insane, but I was watching very I, light so colored got, um uh iris iris I I work at an an eye surgery center. I should know this. And the first two things I watched in 4K really freaked me out because there were scenes in the show. um, I think it was Killing Eve where you can literally see the lighting grid in the actors like reflected in the in the pupil of the actor. That's pretty trippy. Oh, it was super freaky because I, I was like. What the hell? It's like, she's got like this grid pack. Oh my God, I can literally, it's the lighting rig. Like, I'm just looking at the reflection of the lighting rig behind the camera. And that's why, I could, that's why her eyes look so odd. It's like how in every um, Instagram that- post, you can see the ring light in everyone's eyes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, anyway, the two things about this woman that made me think she would be your favorite character in a movie, but apparently not, are one, she says she's thirsty and picks up a whole bottle of wine without a glass. I did like that mood. <laughs> That's a big mood. And and two, um, she literally just throws Piper out the window, How? like through the plate glass That's why window. I was like, oh, are she's the aliens able Superman. to disguise themselves? Right, right. It was very bizarre that this glass just shatters like it does. I also love the stupid video game logic of, like, the glasses hurt you if you wear them too long, which feels like I mean, the longer you keep your, like, hey, there's batteries in your flashlight, you can't, yeah. this game is pitch black, but you have to find batteries, like, fuck off. I do hate that kind of quest in a video game, but I do think this movie sets it up, like I said, with the TV signal headache thing, like, interrupting the alien signal is difficult for your brain, I think is a good thing to have in the movie. That's fair. They do decide it's stupid in the third act and no longer have to deal with it, which is yeah. a little well, bit because of a the bother. Problem is, well, the problem with that logic, though, is that it's not wearing them. It's taking them off that hurts. Yeah, I guess. I think I the way Piper says it in her room is basically like, oh, man, wearing these is like coming down from a bad trip. Like taking these off is like coming down from a bad trip. <laughs> it's water tastes like broccoli, man. <laughs> broccoli. <laughs> I feel like that's going to be a new catchphrase on the show. A new t-shirt. I think, you, I think you've stumbled into one there. It's just, yeah, I, this water tastes like broccoli. <laughs> I'll get my artist friend to sketch up a, a glass of water with a piece of broccoli in it. <laughs> that would be the single most confusing uh, entertainment-related tele- t-shirt that has ever existed. Could you imagine, like, the it, but I only want four people who listen to this? Sh- like, so here's the thing. Would it be like... I'm thinking it's either like small, like fist size at your breast pocket, or it's giant on the whole shirt. 
it's the whole shirt. It's huge. It says this water tastes like broccoli, and it's like glass of water with a stall, a whole stalk of broccoli in it, like the like a whole bushy head with a long stalk. Yeah. And that's it. Just this water tastes like broccoli. But like the you know, imagine putting that shirt on out in the wild, and someone recognizing it, and getting the joke. You'd never feel cooler. Like you'd have such a good connection. That would I will say that would be the coolest. It's like if someone you know, if I wore my Macho Mandrew shirt, and someone was like, right. "Hey, yeah, exactly." I listen to that exactly. podcast. <laughs> this water tastes like broccoli. Um, there's an incredible stunt fall when he gets thrown out the window. I don't understand. Like it, it's like you turned off gravity. Like you're in G mod yes. all of a sudden. Yes. She, she, yes. she whips around and smashes a wine bottle into his head and sends him flying through a goddamn window. Yes, and then he just like does hilarious crumple physics all the way down the hill. <laughs> yeah, he's ragdoll. Is yes, exactly. It's just like flump, flump, flump. And he gets to the bottom and kind of like shakes the glass out of his hair and is like, well, and I guess I better be on my way. And he, he runs to an alley and he sleeps in it. Fluffy, a fluffy mullet. It is. Yeah. He's like a, a sort of like a snake Pliskin vibe, but worse. Like yeah. the, hair, the snake Pliskin looks kind of cool. Snake Pliskin has John Carpenter. gorgeous hair. Yes. I think John Carpenter just really likes this hairstyle. I think so. And this is, so, uh, he's this lost is why I didn't like at this point. Holly, because I'm con- I'm constantly confused by her character, and not in a fun way, like in a, like a, ooh, you know what I mean? Right, it's, it's like, is she a double agent the whole time? I truly don't know. No, I don't either. We'll get to that, though. Uh, Piper sleeps in the alley, and he goes to Keith David for help at the construction site, and, uh... Keith David's like, get the hell out of here. You murdered a lot of people in the bank. (laughs) Right. People are looking for you. I don't want to help you. And then Piper's like, all right, well, I got to go get that box of sunglasses that I stashed in a trash can that we forgot to mention. And he goes looking for it and it's gone, but there's a garbage truck there. So he sneaks into the garbage truck and gets a weird looking future garbage truck. Yeah. Yeah. It's an odd, odd design. I also, it's bizarre. Like for some reason the ramp goes up while he's in it and he thinks something bad is about to happen, but then it just drives away. That's what, yeah, I was, he was like, oh no. And I'm like, it's not the trash compactor in Star Wars. Right, right, right. It just, you're just going to slide down this little ramp. But anyway, he gets the box of glasses back. um, And the... (laughs) Keith David shows up and he's holding the box in his left hand. And I've not, I didn't notice this in other times I watched it, but Keith David is like 10, 15 feet away, would you say? Gets the money right in the box. Yes, he throws it perfectly into the box. I was, you hear it thunk in there so satisfyingly. It's like somewhere between an underhand and a like, Frisbee. take your money toss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, he t- he does it right in the box. He's like, "This is the best I can do for you. It's a week's pay. Uh, that's it. I'm out." And then uh, P- Piper is like, "No, no, you got to put these glasses on." And this leads to a fight that a lot of people really love. I'm curious to hear your thoughts. So I, it is v- very well executed. Like it's two men who know what they're doing. They yes. Use- clearly trained and rehearsed this fight it is beautifully executed my problem is that it's like the most boring version of a fight for six minutes right it's i think it's way too long people put this on their like favorite fight scenes of all time and i'm genuinely kind of baffled by it and i I think in in from a technical standpoint yeah like it's a six minute fight sequence that is that looks really good and looks realistic and it feels real but i'm just like 
I'm also watching a movie about space aliens and Reaganomics. <laughs> like, right, right, right. That, like, let's get some perspective here. Yeah, yeah. Piper does a couple of wrestling moves in it, which I appreciate. Well, he uh, he closed like line a cop earlier. Yes, he did. He did absolutely close line a cop. Uh, technically, that was a lariat. What the fuck is a lariat? You run into a clothesline, and a lariat runs into you. Oh, I didn't realize there was a difference. There's a nuance to arm strikes. Um, apparently, this fight was only supposed to be 23 seconds, but they just kept going. <laughs> and John Carpenter liked it so much, he left it all in. That's genuinely stunning to me and also makes a lot of sense based on I mean, how, like, like, I can see it being like, hey, we got 23 seconds, but if you guys want to improv for a few minutes, we'll kind of, like, get a couple angles, like, whatever. And they just, they just went for it, dude. Yeah, it seems like he told them to just, like, roll around a bit and he'd shoot it for, At like, five At one point, they're straight up pumping. No, they absolutely are. They're, like, trying to get leverage on each like, other. One's, just, like, it's a, one guy hips. on his back, another guy on top of him just wiggle worming. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, Piper finally gets Keith Yeager to put the glasses on. Forces the glasses on his face. Yes, yes. Um, um, but he see he sees the he finally sees everything. But I do like that the shot immediately after this is they go to this like flop house motel, and they both look like they had the absolute shit kicked out of them. Like the, yeah. the 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 black eye and cut lip and that kind of stuff. All that makeup is really well done. So they drink like a twelve pack of beers and yeah, they're just like house. living here. I don't know how long, how much time is supposed to have passed. I got the impression it was one night. Oh, okay. So the next day, the other guy just happened just to be a in their lobby pack or whatever. Yeah, that's the part that like that's another like this movie takes a few shortcuts. The 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 huge one is Piper like seeing the aliens and starting killing them, and the second one is this guy like knowing where they are and then recruiting them and telling them where to go. It also doesn't explain how the woman is able to find them either. Yeah, I don't get it. Because this guy's like, hey, here's our, here's our, you know, our meeting location. You should come. Yeah. So they go. There's like a huge room of people there. Um, they're all on the team. And the, the woman who gave him the peas, I'm pretty sure it's the same woman who gave him the peas. I think so. Is like, is I needed like, like hey. I needed a, like scarves or funny hats or like some <laughs> way to identify all these characters because they're all dressed kind of the same. Yeah, I, I mean, I think part of that is on purpose. It's supposed to be, like, the faceless people, like, rising up against the tyranny of this, you know, Yeah, but when there's race. a twist later, I would like to immediately understand who I'm looking at, because now he's dressed right. differently. Right. Yeah, okay, that's fine. I mean, I, I will say that I'm not sure that I knew that the guy was the same guy from camp when they see him at the tuxedo the first time i watched this movie yeah okay i think it confused the hell out of me so i'm with you or like Um, more names like that would this movie would do great if a few more times we were like hi frank hi lisa yeah yeah but anyway here's where they decide like oh we can't have our actors wearing sunglasses for the whole movie so these are magic contact lenses that you put in and also you don't they don't hurt you anymore so you don't have to worry about that part which seems like a real nice shortcut yeah, well, also, like, they didn't think about, like, explain, like, what are the ramifications of living your life looking in a black and white world from now on? Like, what is right. that like? Or, like, yeah, like, do you take them off and, to, like, only wear them sometimes? It all seems, like, kind of nuts. Um, but 
they get this they get this watch that was stolen from one of the aliens and they realize that like that it's like a transporter they're they're having this plan session holly arrives and piper like goes uh to talk to her and she tells them that the station is clear and not part of where the signal is coming from and they're having this like tender moment they like they just start to have the like Oh, I love you moment, which pisses us off all in all of these movies. And then literally there's an explosion and a tank or a squad of policemen run to the door. Insane and not what I was expecting. Right. This is why, again, Holly's very confusing because earlier she's like it seems like she understands what Roddy is trying to get her to do and like pushes him out right. the window and then calls the police and picks up the sunglasses. And then now yeah. she's at this meeting, but still being weird and cagey. Right. And based on what happens after this, it's like, well, did she, is she like working for the aliens and she helped them lead them to this meeting site? And then like, that's, that's what, why it got raided. That would be so much more interesting if it was clear. Right. And and that's my other big quibble is so like there's a huge gunfight. They, there's all this shooting that happens. Keith David and Roddy Piper get kind of stuck. They do something to the watch and make it work. And they're like, you have a portal for 10 seconds. And then they jump through it. Uh, I did like that hole because like, it's literally Disney. a hole in the in the like concrete asphalt. Yes, that leads directly to the like Disney Utilidors. It looks like <laughs> there's these like I was gonna say it's Utilidors, but then later it just feels like a Tomorrowland attraction when they're like stepping on a teleport space pad. Yeah, yeah. Have you been in a Utilidor? Yes, all the time. Okay, does this what they look like? Are they just like big nondescript tunnels? Well, the, no. So the problem they can't be that because you will get lost. So there's a lot of like yeah. each wor- each land has a different color like s- different color assigned to it. So you like follow the like stripes on the wall, and you're like, oh, I need to I go see. to Frontierland. Okay. I'm gonna follow the green stripe or whatever. Also, you know where you are sometimes because okay. of the garbage smell. Yeah, but, you know, I got my hair sense. cut down there a lot. Oh, interesting. Well, the, they they find a guard station, and the guards are like listening to the radio about the raid that just happened. They're super pumped, uh, and they end up in this banquet for the aliens and their rich, uh, I guess not donors, but like the people who have sold out to them. They're, I they're thought investors. this would have been more impactful if there were no aliens at the tables. Agreed. If it was just yes, like aliens just on the alien stage. Speaking. And like we are the like mm-hmm. the whatever, but all of you are humans who chose to rat out humanity. Right. No, I, I agree with you. I think there should be all humans in the audience. But this is where the guy from camp who was watching TV earlier. Oh, is, talk it, about this, is that him? Uh, is that who it's supposed depth, to be? He was one of the headache people. Yeah, he's the guy in the beginning who has the headache and then he like tells the guy to, to screw off. Okay, because again, I couldn't tell. I was like, now he's all cleaned up in a tuxedo and I can't recognize his character. Right. So this actor is the guy who also played a bum in uh, Back to the Future. He like there's oh. two scenes in Back to the Future where a bum, uh, or a home, I don't know. A, he's a bum in Back to the Future. That's probably not the term you would drifter use now. is what is what Wikipedia says. Um, but he is like in Back to the Future. He's like looking through a trash can as the DeLorean pops in, and then they make oh, the same in, joke in the it, sequel. I was gonna say it's Back to the Future too, right? Where they knock out both, they knock out Leah Thompson and hide her in the yes, trash. But yes, yes, but he, but he's in, he's in both of them. He's like lying on a bench, I think. Oh, um, but he is, um, he is the uh, that's the actor. His name is George. It's three. It's three. What is it, George Pembley the third? 
George Buck Flower, who also uh, he, he like I looked this guy up and he acted in like some softcore pornography, uh, like Cinemax well, type then. stuff. Yeah, like not not. I don't think he was doing the sexy parts. I think he was just like in the movies. But he also like wrote <laughs> he played one. the plot. He has he has a co-writing credit on a movie wherein a woman tries to seduce her famous estranged novelist step or father and i was just like all of this is weird but <laughs> that's so porn but anyway um he plays this this he's now rich and with these rich people because he sold out to the aliens and i think this like end plot stuff is much more interesting if the good guys didn't like act literally fall through a hole into the solution to their problems and instead it was like well, okay you're I- so the, I do like it because it was an accident. Like, like Keith, wait, what? Dr. Facilier. Keith David. Keith David. Um, I was like, Keith Richard, that's not right. Because um, Keith David is playing with the watch, trying to make it work, and he gets frustrated and just throws it on the ground, and it cracks. And then mm-hmm. the, the watch says, your, you know, your device is broken. We've created a portal that will last for 10 seconds to get you back to base. And after that, the watch will, do, the watch will explode. All that I'm fine with. My bigger thing is like, so this guy, this, I think his name is George in the movie, but the homeless guy who before had been like yelling about the preacher on TV and stuff, he gives them this tour and he's like very knowledgeable about the alien space, which he has been everything about it. But like maybe a week he's been there. Yeah. Right. But isn't this much more interesting if this guy is a plant and he's, like helping them get inside to this place and he is like infiltrated the bad guys and this is like all part of the master plan i feel like that's much more interesting that is interesting but also i do like that one of their own sold them out because he's like genuinely yeah. like oh you guys sold out too great i'm not alone yeah yeah but he this guy like this is another one of the shortcuts of the movie this guy has been like like i said like a week maybe two that he's been an alien sellout and he knows every single thing about all of their shit he yeah he's been through the utilidors yeah he's like walking around um so they uh he does however play a really good sniveling bootlicker because they get to the part where they're like overlooking the uh newscasters and he's like but piper's like i've never been inside a tv studio can i see what that looks like and the guy tries to like sweet talk the guard and the guard's like no of course not no and then they shoot the guards and this guy is like guys and this is apparently a line directly from universal uh, or one of the executives yes. to put the movie out who was like uh you know, we all sell out every day. Like, what's, what's, why not make a little money at it? And Carpenter is like furiously taking notes during the meeting, <laughs> I'm guessing. He's um, like, Deborah, are you writing this down? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they take this guy out uh, as well and they roll into the studio, shoot it all up, and then they start like walking through the newsroom, the news offices, also with these huge guns that no one seems alarmed at all by. Well, they're alarmed, but no one's, everyone's just kind of like, like no one's doing anything or running. They're just kind of frozen. Right. Um, uh, so the, at this point, the aliens are trying to track them down and they're trying to get to the radio tower, the broadcast tower, the other uh, thing. Did you notice the uh, special piece of equipment that the alien? Yeah. It's, is it Star Trek them? or Ghostbusters? It's the Ghostbusters PKE meter. Okay. I was like, it's one of those. Cause it's the, it looks like a, just a, ha- a, a block on a handle with two little wings that pop out. Uh huh. They sell it at Spirit Halloween. Yeah, I'm sure they do. 
Um, so they run through a bunch of aliens and they see Holly uh, and they're like excited about this. And then like 45 seconds later, she turns on Piper and pulls a gun on him. And I just was like, I don't, what is this? Is this woman a sellout to the aliens? Like what she is kills the situation? Frank. Yeah, she does shoot Frank. That's right. And I was like, again, I was like, wait a minute. I'm so confused. Right. Like Piper like this. Piper kidnapped this woman, seemed to really like her. She showed up at the meeting. So he thought she was like on the squad. But that's clearly not true. Uh, they pull guns on each other. Um, he He's like, screw this. He shoots Holly and destroys the dish behind her in basically one burst of gunfire. He has a like a pea shooter. Yes. And manages to kill Holly and blow up the dish and then get killed. Yeah, he gets shot by a helicopter uh, gun, an alien with a gun and a helicopter. Uh, but him blowing up the uh, dish like makes wakes everyone up. Basically, he like they stop being able to get interference, and it people are like coming awake to this, and it leads to the absurdest of absurd endings which is a topless woman thrusting on top of a man laying in bed and she looks down and he is an alien who is like this is the first time we see the alien body which is not yeah. as good of a makeup as the it's not as good as a makeup of a makeup as the as the face i feel it's just colors um, and shading yeah and he's like what's wrong babe and it's smash credits start rolling it's so weird so the crazy thing is that the scene I remember from this movie was that was the girl having sex and looking down and the guy is an alien. I did not remember. It was the smash cut to credits moment. I thought it was in my brain. It was part of a larger montage. Right, right. Uh, Yeah, there is a montage, but just that's the last shot of it. Yeah, this movie actually like this is one of the few instances of a movie where I'm like, I I wouldn't mind a sequel to this to see like what happens now, right? Like right. what and do you the humans need Piper do for it because he's dead? So you, you really you super don't. Yeah, but is it going to be a Ghostbusters um, two situation where like an alien mayor is like, uh, we can forget that never happened, or like yeah, what? yeah, we just <laughs> everyone pretends that it never happened at all. Yeah, it's fascinating to me, like. The, the the ending is so abrupt and it's like i kind of on one hand i'm like i kind of like it like like it's very similar to halloween because this movie like, is 95 minutes right like the one of the very few times you will ever hear this on this podcast but like i don't know another 10 wouldn't have killed me <laughs> i agree <laughs> like, make it an hour 45 and i'm fine yeah like i don't like we're not going crazy here but like a, f- a few more th- scenes probably would have helped and like i don't know maybe ha- like it's it's 95 minutes with a probably four minute end credit sequence, the opening where he's just walking through the town is like four Three or five minutes. minutes. Yeah. And then uh, a six maybe. minute punching. Right. So you're talking about like 80 minutes of movie. Um, but yeah, it's, it's like, of like, you know, other than those three pieces. Uh, but yeah, it's, and I, the montage is really cool and you're exactly right. It makes you want more. You're like, Oh my God, now what happens? Like, do people, do people wake up? And I guess, his message is like, I hope so, right? You know? Well, my other question about it is that, so, th- someone in the movie says, they colorify us. Right. Which means that the world is in black and white. Yeah. So, like, like, the implication I took was that the world itself is in black and white, which means all of this, like, how crazy would the montage have been if everything was in black and white all of a sudden, and the people are like, what is happening? 
Yeah, that's that would have been interesting. I thought it was sort of like a like a metaphorical they color the world. Oh, uh, okay. Like maybe just because they're sunglasses, but, that's why it's black and white. Right, right. But yeah, I, don't, I mean, it's a good question. I don't know. The other thing I was thinking is like, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it's because it was the 80s and it was like, we just need some breasts in this movie. But I feel like that last scene is way yuckier if she's kissing him and not having sex with him. You think? The mouths on these aliens are so yucky. And yeah. their eyeballs are just like touching. Like his, his eyeball goop would be on her cheek. The eyeballs look like, like I'm, I'm trying to describe it. It's sort of like in a uh, if you go to like a like a spring fair or some like cheapo fair and you spend like five five tickets on a, a bouncy ball that's cut like a gem, mm-hmm. like it's faceted, like a faceted ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's sort of like a geodesic sort of. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's yeah. Design. Thank you. Uh, geodesic dome, like lots of triangles making up a, an a orb shape. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I love the makeup in this. I think I think it's really cool. Um, but yeah, so that's that's the end of the movie anyway. And yeah, uh, I actually, while I was watching this, um, I don't. I think I, this is one of those facts that like I have known and then not known fifty two times in my life. But yeah, Carpenter won an Academy Award for for an early short film he made. Oh. But before that, when he was a student, he made this student film called Captain... Captain... Damn it. Anyway, he made this student film about a guy who's like a peeping Tom. And I was curious about it. It turns out they like recently, within the past 10 years, uh, found it and put it out. And it's amazing how much this early movie of his is like the prototype for Halloween. That's kind of cool. I would love to watch that. It's about like, it's about a peeping. It's not, it's like very, very rough, but it's, uh, it's called Captain Voyeur. And it's a guy, it's a black well, it's, and white. It's what, like six, 10 minutes? Seven, eight minutes long. It's like eight, maybe. Okay. Um, but it's a guy with a mask who's like creepily sneaking and looking through people's windows. Hmm. Um, but yeah, maybe this made me fall down a little John Carpenter rabbit hole. I went and added like all his other movies that are also streaming on stars right now. He did the fog, right? Some stuff. Yeah, I don't love that as much as a lot of people do, but it could be a future episode for sure. It's on my. It's been um, on my. What list are your for final day live thoughts? Um, I like it. It's a, it's a very good movie. It's very topical. Um, we're still living in that you know consumer world, and the police brutality is you know it's there. Um, but it's it's a a well constructed movie. Uh, the the cast is great. The concept is great. The 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 production design is amazing. Like I would love again I, when we have the dissect in the eighties photo, like art installation photo experience. This is there's going to be a they live spot. Yeah, I really dig this movie a lot. I don't think it's as good as a movie as like Halloween, which I think is yeah. almost perfect. But I think it's got a lot of really cool stuff in it. I think it's fascinating that he made this movie with a wrestler for no reason apparently. Um, but like you said, it's hard to imagine anybody else playing the character given, I'm given like, what it is. If you put like a Rick Moranis in there, the movie's super different. You put a like a like a yeah, it's not a Rick Moranis movie. That's that's the wrong direction. <laughs> yeah, because I'm like Belushi, Aykroyd. I'm like, who else? No, it's not funny. That's the thing. Is like it's not. It's not. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> you who get Loomis. Would be. It would be. It would be like. It would be like a character actor that you'd want there. Yeah, but most character actors are funny. 
I don't know that I agree with that. I mean, I think of character actors of all stripes. Dick Miller's not funny. I think Dick Miller's pretty funny. <laughs> anyway, I mean, I agree with you. I think it's a really rad movie. I, I definitely recommend this one. If you've never seen it before, uh, we probably ruined it for you by talking about it in such detail. But it's a really fun, interesting movie. Um, it's It's got a lot to say. I don't know that it's the best messenger for this message, but it does have an important thing to say, I think. Uh, and it wraps it up in, you know, all sorts of weird fights and alien creatures and such. I am a little surprised it hasn't been remade. Apparently they it's, tried to, it feels like, like it. S- yeah, they tried to a couple times. And the one time that it got closest, they were like, Oh, we're actually not going to do any of that social message stuff. We're just going to readapt this story. Like the original story, which I've never read and maybe doesn't. I think I have read it. Okay. It's called Eight O'Clock in the Morning. Yeah, yeah. I think I have read it before because it's similar. Okay. I I want to say it's similar to is it the Adjustment Bureau that weird random shitty movie with Emily Blunt where like I know that movie but I don't know anything about it. Yeah, I, I want to say it's something like that because I I I feel like I read it in maybe in school or just for fun. But yeah, it's a short story. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a short story, and then there's a comic book adaptation or something similar, and he used both of those things to put it together. It also was um, adapted into an Are You Afraid of the Dark episode. Is that right? Yeah, it's called The Tale of the Specs. Um, okay. And I, it's where a girl gets these x-ray specs that let her, when she puts them on. It's not that people turn into other things, it's that she can see these, like, cre- it's, pe- it's people in black morph suits. Which is admittedly uh, kind of creepy. And so she sees yeah, this yeah. world of like random people. Like shadow monsters? Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I'm going to have to look that up later. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely recommend this. You should she- you should seek this out if you haven't seen it yet. It's a really cool movie. It kind of gets lumped in as a horror movie, which I don't think is accurate at all. Like it's not at all yeah, frightening. I mean, thrilling. Yeah, it's like I think this is more like an action movie with aliens in it than it is, you know what I mean? Like it's more like a like a Predator, which is not to me a horror movie. It's like an action movie with a I would creature call, in it. I would call Predator horror before I'd call this horror. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean, definitely worth your time. It's a really interesting movie. It's it's sort of a fascinating piece. John Carpenter's career is really really fascinating to me. Like his sort of bouncing around to just like different stuff that interested him is fascinating to me that he was able to do that for as long as he was mm-hmm. um, not always going to have hits and success that way, but interesting stuff usually comes from it. But yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely, definitely worth it. I, I like this movie a lot. I was happy that we got to watch it. So thanks Tom. Appreciate that. Um, looking forward to doing more favorites in February. Yeah. So far I'm, I'm glad you all listened to my, me when I said listener request month, I want good short movies. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Grease 2 is a really good episode. So I, you know, I, I didn't love that movie, but I think it's a good episode. So we'll see what happens with Deadly Friend. I wasn't miserable watching Grease 2. No, no it wasn't Garbage Pale Kids where I was like, to do Garbage Pale Kids. <laughs> I was yeah. like, would this movie be better if I watched it in 18 10 part increments? <laughs> <laughs> I think I did it in five parts, which is unheard of for me for one of these movies. Um, Anyway, uh, thank you so much for listening to the show. Don't forget to check us out on Twitter at Dissect the 80s. On Facebook, it's Dissecting the 80s. Uh, DissectingThe80s.com has all the stuff you need to know about the show. And we'd love to hear from you. You can tweet us or Facebook message us or email us at DissectingThe80s at gmail.com. 
Um, if you've got a great story about a movie we've done on the show or a topic we talked about, if you if you think this water tastes like broccoli and you want to let us know, uh, <laughs> this water it. tastes like broccoli, uh, man. <laughs> if somebody wants to design a "this water tastes like broccoli" T-shirt, uh, contact us. Let's figure out something for that. Maybe a sticker. Sticker uh, feels cheaper. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, uh would love to to figure that out for sure um anyway thank you so much for listening to the show we really appreciate it our next episode as you know will be uh about deadly friend as we just said and that episode drops the final monday in june isn't there another one are we doing adventures in babysitting too you well i was just getting to that uh final monday in june will be uh deadly friend on the main feed and then over on the patreon Dropping round about the 15th, which is uh, this episode get out on the 15th. So soon this week, I'm going to say probably um, some point, sometime between now and the 22nd that we haven't figured out yet, just because we haven't recorded that episode and we got to figure out the timing will be our adventures in babysitting episode, which is another one of my favorites. <laughs> yes. Uh, and that one is uh, streaming on HBO uh, at the moment. If you want to check that one out first, so. an emblem for it is on Disney plus because they like to put yes. three years out. Not till 2021. F off. Yes, it's very stupid. Thank you so much for listening to the show. I have been Trip Lano. I will always be Andrew Lano. Until next time. This water tastes like broccoli, dude. <laughs>